everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused on security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So... Having recently done several episodes of the show in which I spoke to somebody on the ground in countries where there are currently large protest movements in the face of serious threats to democracy, usually emanating from, at least partially, from the overreaches of some populist jackass, I decided to just go ahead and do that again, except this time in Israel. I should say from the outset, uh, this isn't going to be an episode that focuses on the question of a future Palestinian state, or the current or past status of the Palestinian people. That's a separate topic worthy of many episodes of its own, and although, as you'll hear in the conversation, it does make an appearance in almost any discussion of issues related to Israel, it isn't the main focus of this one. The main focus of this episode, realistically, is a man named Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, unless you live under a rock, you've almost certainly heard that name, uh, because Benjamin Netanyahu has been a malign political force in Israel, the United States, and really the world stage for decades now. He is one of one of the absolute worst people in really intellectual politics anywhere in the world. Netanyahu has pretty deep ties to the U.S. Um, he's worked in various capacities in the private sector and for the Israeli government in the U.S. before officially uh, getting into Israeli politics back home with the Israeli right-wing Likud party and then first getting elected prime minister in the mid-1990s. So just so we sort of understand the system that we're working with here, Israel is a parliamentary democracy, as actually are most democracies in the world, at least the ones that actually work. So yes, uh, to my American listeners, our system is actually fairly unique in a number of ways and often kind of not as good. Uh, so in any case, just in case folks don't know what I'm talking about, in a parliamentary democracy like Israel, the people don't, as we do in the states, have one election to choose the chief executive and another to choose voting representatives in a legislative body that make all the laws. Rather, people vote for the party they want to represent them in the legislature, which in Israel is called the Knesset, uh, and the chief executive of the country, the, the head of government, the prime minister in this case, is whoever is then able to establish the largest coalition in that legislative body. Like the UK, Israel is fairly rare among democracies in that it actually doesn't have a constitution, which you'll hear talked about in my conversation with today's guest. Unlike the UK, however, and some other parliamentary democracies, Israel is not a country where there are like a couple of main political parties that have been around for a long time and they just kind of trade power back and forth between each other every few elections. Israeli politics are frenetic, let's say. It's not all that uncommon, for example, for parties to split up and form new parties or for governing coalitions to fall apart, meaning it's also not especially uncommon for prime ministers to be in power for like just a year or two. Just as a side note, I actually do think for a number of reasons that this coalition system is kind of better, but... I also like want to hurry up and get to the conversation I'm having with today's guest, so I will try to stay on topic and save that one for another day. Coincidental to all of this, and for a number of reasons that I'm going to try 
not to go too far into since I want to save time for the more interesting conversation that we have coming up, it is necessary to understand that Israeli politics over the last decade or two have moved pretty consistently to the right. Now, whether Benjamin Netanyahu is the cause or the beneficiary of that, I think is up for debate. Actually, maybe both. In any case, that has happened. Netanyahu, as I started saying before, first got elected prime minister in the mid-1990s, but only lasted for a couple of years because his coalition fell apart. After an election in 2009, though, he managed to again form a coalition to become prime minister. It hasn't been great. One thing, just like in terms of general good governance and stuff, BB, as many call him, and his wife Sarah, apparently, are rather fond of the finer things in life. Which has led to Netanyahu being under very serious charges for, you know, bribery and corruption and that sort of thing. In terms of policy, well, if you're a fan of the notion of an eventual two-state solution to the Israel-Palestine conflict... He has consistently thrown sand in the gears of that process in ways too innumerable to get into here. If you, for example, think that a strong, bipartisan, stable working relationship between Israel and the United States is a good thing, for the record, it is, well, uh, Netanyahu has done incalculable damage to that long-standing relationship by interfering actively, frequently, and aggressively in American politics which makes it especially galling to hear him and others in his government now bitch and moan because Biden criticized the atrocious anti-democratic stunt that they're trying to pull. I've heard many Israelis refer to Netanyahu in the past as the Republican senator from the great state of Israel, if that gives you a taste of what I'm talking about and how unsubtle it is. Basically, dude did a whole bunch of bad stuff, both foreign and domestic, over a bit more than a decade in power, starting in, like, 2018 or thereabouts, he'd become such a lightning rod that he basically became the focal point of a rolling political crisis in Israel where they just kept having election after election and really couldn't form a government that would last. It's a lot more complicated than this, but basically some parties wouldn't join the coalition if he was going to be the leader and others wouldn't join if he wasn't. Finally, after like four or five elections where he was like the temporary prime minister, like the caretaker during that period of time, a coalition of really strange bedfellows ranging from centrists to a far-right party to a party representing Arab Israelis succeeded in forming a fragile coalition to oust Netanyahu in the spring of 2021. So, then you might reasonably ask, Guy's already had more than a decade in power. He's definitely at, like, retirement age. Why not just ride off into the sunset for the good of the country so that they can, you know, kind of move on? Well, Benjamin Netanyahu, although being quite obviously more intelligent than Donald Trump, or at least having a three-digit IQ, appears to have more than a little in common with America's bigliest, most terrific and classy president in the human history of time, even better than Lincoln and Washington, that I can tell you, believe me. Both men are populist jackasses who are very ready to deploy racism to and, and division to advance their own ends. Both pretty obviously are willing to see their own countries burnt to the ground as long as they get to be the ones leading them. Both men also, as Netanyahu is now making abundantly clear, don't really have any commitment to basic principles of democracy, like the separation of powers. Oh, and then also, remember those serious corruption charges that I mentioned earlier? 
Netanyahu, like Trump, plainly believes that he's a lot less likely to spend a decade in the clink if he's fighting the serious charges levied against him from the position of head of government than from the position of former head of government. That broad coalition that managed to topple Netanyahu back in 2021, it managed to keep the lights on for about a year and a half, but then eventually fell apart, leading to new elections in the fall of 2022, which opened the door for Netanyahu to come back into power, which he has done with a vengeance. And I put it that way because, well, as I mentioned, Israel broadly has moved uh, to the right over time, but also the character of Israel's right has itself changed. Netanyahu himself may once have at least appeared to be more of a center-right leader with a coalition that looked like that, but he increasingly now owes his support to a coalition of hardcore religious lunatics and other really unsavory characters like settlers whose agenda is the straight-up annexation of all of the disputed territory and thus the effective end to any hope for a future Palestinian state, among other things. And so, what has been the first line on the agenda of this new government, the most radically extreme right-wing one by far in Israel's history? Go after the independent judiciary. Of course, partly, probably, I think, to protect Netanyahu himself, since he's still under indictment, but also just to dramatically weaken the rules of Israeli politics and allow whatever government is in power right now to do basically whatever it wants, which... For a country with a growing population of crazy people who pretty openly would like to both potentially end the chance of there ever being a Palestinian state and also impose hardcore religious rules on the rest of the population, many of whom are quite secular and liberal, especially considering the neighborhood the country's in, this is a pretty scary prospect. And thus has arrived the point at which the Israeli people have apparently just had enough. Hundreds of thousands have poured for weeks in a row into the streets, often as many as 500,000 people at a time. Now, for perspective, uh, given Israel's population size, this is roughly equivalent to if about 66 million Americans were all out on the streets on the regular demonstrating together on behalf of one cause. So to get a better sense for how things look on the ground in Israel right now and why so many Israelis are up in arms about this, we're going to be joined by Omri Lavi, a pro-democracy activist who's been involved in helping organize the protests and is also, by the way, a reservist in Israel's military intelligence corps. But before our conversation, here comes my obligatory plea to, if you haven't already done so, please hit subscribe or follow or like or whatever it is on whichever platform you listen to your podcast so that you're able to keep getting episodes and share this show with anybody who you think might get something out of it. We're really trying to build something with this, and every one of you who listens to, and especially who shares the pod, is vital to that, and I'm super grateful. Thanks in advance, and now that I've completed the sad content producer's requisite bow and scrape, I bring you my conversation with Omri. Omri, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um... So bearing in mind that uh, before this part of the episode, I will have done a, a long-winded introduction in which I will have explained, you know, that Israel has been, you know, shifting pretty consistently to the right over the last number of years, you know, with a brief pause in Netanyahu's rule during which, like, even during most of that time, it was mostly a pretty hard right person was the prime minister instead of him. Yeah. With, with, with all that context, what is it that about this current situation that is causing finally now such a huge number of Israelis to come out and protest? So 
this this judicial reform, which made all of uh, Israelis uh, go out to the street, like not all of Israelis, but many Israelis to go out to the streets, like uh, as or as we call it, the judicial overhaul or the judicial coup, um, is very blunt and very uh, aggressive in what it does. Like the 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 Minister of Justice just went out and laid out his program, and it was very obvious that what he's planning to do is just to end the judicial re review in Israel and to have a government which is basically has no checks and balances. It, it, it was very obvious from the beginning. So maybe uh, we should say in advance that Israel uh, has a very fragile government system uh, to begin with because we have only one House of uh, Representatives, and we have, and the government is basically ruling the house because the the Prime Minister is one is the member of Parliament which has enough votes to have a majority in the house, and we have no uh, constitution, and we don't have any like uh, a court above us like uh, maybe in the European Union, European Union or anything like this. So basically, what happened in in the last couple of years in Israel is that the only checks and balances that are provided by to the to the government are by is done by the Supreme Court and uh, and also the legal advisors to the government the Israel government right now is to eliminate these kind these two ways of review uh, by uh, basically uh, controlling the the selection of the judges and by changing the law so that there will be practically no ability to the uh, to the Supreme Court to uh, to override rules or to have any type of uh, review or, or check on on rules that are passed by the Parliament. I'm curious, so, just, just as a <clears throat> as a technical matter. Given that Israel doesn't have, and I should probably have just Googled this before, but given given that as a technical matter. Israel doesn't have a constitution. On what basis does the Supreme Court conduct judicial review? Okay, so that's a great question. That's a very like uh, um, heated subject in Israel, uh, because what happened is that since the beginning, the court sort of done like some kind of of checks or reviews to the to the government decisions and to rules passed by the Knesset by the Israeli Parliament, uh, based on our uh, like Bill of Independence, which laid out like uh, some kind of a vision that Israel be uh, uh, an, an equal country that is subject to to uh, human rights and to justice in general. Uh, but then in the nineties, the Parliament passed. Well, actually, it was led by the right-wing party, by the Likud, by the same party that Netanyahu is is currently uh, uh, ruling. Uh, so the Knesset passed a series of basic laws that now that the the most important of which was the um, it was the basic law for uh, human respect and freedom, and. That made and now most of the judicial uh, review is based on this basic law, but now the Knesset wants wants to pass like more basic laws that will change this uh, this basic this basic law the human respect and to have it that 
it will take a majority of 12 out of 15 judges to overrule another law based on this basic law. So basically, the judicial review will be eliminated. And that means that the government will be uh, uh, practically omnipotent and will have no checks and balances on their own. And this, many Israelis, most Israelis, not only left, left-leaning Israelis, but Israelis from the center and even from the right, they saw that and they understood that this will be a complete change to the government system in Israel and will basically will make Israel not a democracy anymore because the, the government or more specifically the prime minister will not have any any type of uh, of uh, checks and balances on on their decisions and this what made many Israelis go out to the streets uh, currently there are like we have on the big protests on the big on the big weeks we have half a million Israelis all over the country that go out to protest and but and and um, research that one of the newspapers did found that that two million Israelis have been to the street because of this protest. That's out of ten million Israelis overall. So this is this is if the this okay. So basically, the number of Israelis that have protested is. I'm trying. Well, I'm too bad at math to do this quickly. Mm-hmm. But if 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 twenty percent of the U.S. population yeah. protested, uh, that would be if like sixty million people in the U.S. were protesting something approximately. Yeah, that that is unprecedented protests in Israel and an unprecedented consensus in Israel. Also, aside from the people on the streets, we got we have most of the business uh, of the business class that are. Uh, um, uh, Expressing their their uh, uh, protest against the these laws, we have the high tech uh, community. We have many many uh, reservists, like soldiers that are on reserve that are saying that they won't serve anymore uh, if these laws will pass. I'm one of them actually, and this is like made a uh, it shocked it completely shocked the government and it completely shocked actually many Israelis that never thought that the liberal camp in Israel have such a force and have such a power to organize and to go out to the streets. It's interesting because what it sounds like is a weird maybe analogy, but it sounds like what what's being proposed or what's being what's about to potentially be done by the Netanyahu regime is basically to to eliminate any restrictions and create a situation of basically temporary absolute majority rule, uh, wherein whichever whichever block temporarily takes control of the, of the government can do effectively whatever they want without any restriction based on some higher law uh, or or set of rules they're operating by. It's like if um well it's like if you were in a football game and the referees all went away and God knows what the football players would do to each other in a situation like that. It's like one of the teams will just take over the 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 referee and will decide on the rules on its own. Uh, yeah, that's exact. That's a really good. That's a really good analogy. And and yeah, that is that is the the main fear that there will be like an unrestricted majority rule in Israel. And as you know, Israel has uh, an, an ongoing conflict with uh, with the Palestinian people and with the Arab, maybe you can say many of the Arab countries in general, and we have an Arab minority in Israel. And that means that unlike maybe other countries that have like a democratic backsliding, we have like an imminent 
threat to a very big group of people uh, that many in the majority in Israel, they look, look at as enemies and even uh, have like racist uh, outlook against them. So that like to me as an, as an Israeli male Jew, that is uh, a very intimidating protest. But for an Arab Israeli, like for a Palestinian Israeli, that I think that is like extremely frightening to to live in a country like this. And you can add to it that the coalition, the Netanyahu's coalition, is is uh, made not only of right wing polit- politicians but also like of very extreme right wing nationalist and religious politicians. So not only is it like a, a theoretical threat to democracy, but it's a very, very uh, um, like straightforward threat to our rights as secular people, to the rights of the LGBTQ community, to the rights of women, and to, well, to the rights of the Arab minority. Yeah, it, it does seem particularly concerning that a country that, a country that is, has been democratic uh, but that has a substantial portion of the population that holds views that are very dangerously negative about other members of the population could suddenly be unleashed uh, in a way that that they would have been held in check in a more stable democratic um, situation. Like, I mean, it's it's. I wasn't planning on on bringing up the the Palestinian question in this in this conversation, but now that you've mentioned it, it's interesting because I've I have for years I've pushed back on what I consider to be kind of an oversimplification or, or un- unfair when people start throwing around the word apartheid. Uh, but I, I think that's that's getting ahead of where the situation is now. But it's pretty easy to imagine that in a scenario where Israeli democracy became basically rule of the temporary majority, that if that temporary majority looked anything like what Netanyahu's coalition looks like right now, the word apartheid could very quickly become a whole lot more applicable in a way that would be very scary for those people who would be the victims of it, but also for Israel's future on the world stage uh, and, you know, in, in the community of, of you know, nations, uh, I guess, in, in which it already suffers quite a bit of isolation. Um, uh, to... I Can I add to that? Please. It's a very important point that you're raising because many Israelis, like many from the center or the center right, or from even from the left are now like in awe and in shock of what's going on in the country. But many, like many leftist activists or peace activists will will say, um, I like basically it's uh, like a big, I told you so to, for all of the other Israelis, because like what I, I'm about to say is not a consensus among the protesters, but it is a very big, big chunk of us believe that what is happening now is is a direct result of the fact that we control uh, a big uh, big portion of the population without a, without a proper democracy i'm talking about the occupied territories and the palestinian people there and and you can see like many left organizations and many left uh, left leaning people are saying what is happening now is the result of the fact that we have an undemocratic rule over there and that we have a lot of right-wing extremist people that are now in power, that are now in the coalition, that want that this type of rule will 
will be enacted in all of Israel and that will annex the, the occupied territories and then we, we could treat the Palestinian people without basic human rights because we won't have any judicial review on the government's actions. That, okay, that is really interesting. That, that actually, I want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I'm mindful of, of, of limited time constraints. I'll just say this, this is, reminds me of things that I've read in the past about, I think in the context of, of questions around police brutality in the States where some police forces received either training or experience in more combat type situations or, or like, um, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Uh, I'm thinking of a situation where like the border patrol got deployed more domestically in the United States because you take a group of people whose experience is basically pointing guns out outward uh, from the country. And then uh, you take that mindset, that sort of anti-democratic enemy mindset and use it deployed against the domestic population. It seems analogous to what you're talking about. Um, I, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm very tempted to go down that, but I, I, I guess I'll have to see whether I end up cutting what I just said for time constraints. But but, but just an anecdote about that. One of the like one of the milestones in the protest was uh, one day of protest that we tried. We the protesters we tried to get into one of the main roads in Israel. Uh, one of the main roads in the center of Israel, main main uh, highways in the center of Israel to block it as a protest, and the, the police. As usual, they tried to block us from doing it by by force. But then the um, the surprising turn of event was that they started to use on us. Uh, they started to throw stun grenades on us, which are like small grenades that they don't have like a big explosion, but they have like a like a big blast that hurts your ear. And also, they do uh, create a small explosion, and I. I and a couple of more protesters got injured from these explosions. Uh, I got injuries in my legs. So what one of our initial reactions was, holy shit, we, we are treated like the Palestinian population in the occupied territories. Like we are being treated like as enemies because we are being, being used against with, with weapons that are much, they are not, Little, mostly, but are much Closer. more dangerous than than we are used to. Yeah, I I then yeah I can see why those of you who have been arguing for a long time that this is the culmination of poor treatment of the Palestinian population can it seems like some pretty unfortunately direct evidence uh, of wow yeah. So then, I know that this all sort of came to a head recently when. Uh, Netanyahu's own Minister of Defense came out against the proposed judicial reforms and got fired. Um, and then the next yes. step from that was that Netanyahu like sort of paused the effort to get this through. So first of all, I know it's Passover right now, or, or if this is released in a couple of days, it was Passover recently. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I, how much do you think that the pause in legislation combined with Passover will mean that the protests and the resistance to the regime die down temporarily? So actually, when it happened, like we we in the protests were a bit uh, stressed over that because this was actually the first time Netanyahu made like a, a, a smart tactical move by delaying the the um, the process and by 
making it seem like he's now ready for talks and like for negotiations with the opposition regarding these rules. And when Netanyahu talked about us, we in the protest, like in the hardcore of the protest, were trying to tell everybody that this is just like a tactical retreat by Netanyahu. This is uh, Netanyahu practicing what we call the salami tactics, like which is instead of uh, sending out all of the legislation in one chunk, which makes it obvious to, for, to everybody uh, what he's planning, he, he will try to do it like piece by piece and slowly and by and by that like uh, uh, making the protest uh, and this and all of the citizens like uh, dormant or like not aware of what's going on uh, but but happily by the end of that week we saw that first of all many of his MPs like many of the coalition uh, members of Knesset couldn't resist themselves and promised their followers that all of the legislation will go on as planned uh, after the the holiday recess, and the, what we saw in the in the next Saturday, which is like most of our protests are on Saturday night, is that the numbers were down, but only by a bit. So if gotcha. usually we got to half a million in on the streets, then we were at about four hundred thousand uh, people, which is like much better than we thought, and apparently. Most of the citizens already know, like, know the patient, know yeah. Netanyahu, and know what he's trying to do. And hopefully, uh, the leaders of the opposition uh, will not uh, be fooled by him and will not like go to like some kind of fake uh, uh, compromise, which actually uh, brings the this this like uh, threat of dictatorship. Uh, slow, slowly, uh, step by step, and will not be fooled by him, and will not like uh, hurt the protest by by uh, um, uh, creating uh, uh, like creating this uh, facade of uh, agreements. Yeah. So we we basically you and I both assume, and it sounds like all the protesters do as well, that the fact that this has been paused. Uh, doesn't doesn't mean that they've in any way given up. I mean, I, I think it can also be said that the Biden administration, which has been pretty vocal in its opposition to this, along with basically all of the American Jewish community, including a number of very high profile, very right wing Trump support, even Trump supporting Trump's former ambassador to Israel also came out against this. Um, yes. And what, once once you get to the point of, of Sheldon Adelson's widow and Trump's ambassador, uh, you know, coming mm-hmm. coming out against this, it it. it, it it ought to carry carry some weight, but sorry. Bottom line, everybody assumes the pause doesn't mean they've actually given up on this. Let's assume that that Netanyahu decides to plow through with this and ignore the fact that something like something like one sixth of the population of Israel is out on the streets telling him not to do this. Let's if these things are enacted, you've already sort of in the in the first thing you said discussed what some of the implications for this might be, but like. In, in a political sense, what do you what what happens next if this gets passed? So if if this gets passed as it is right now, um, a couple of things will happen. First, like in the short term, first of all, the protest will even like as much will increase in its size. Like it will blow up. Like we will have uh, more like more continuous strikes. We will. We will have more uh, uh, aggressive protests, like we will block more main highways and more 
main uh, infrastructure in Israel and uh, many soldiers, even like combat pilots and, and high ranking officers will stop going to their reserve duties. Uh, basically, I should say that you mentioned before that will include you, right? That will include me. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I can ask this, but only please only say as you want. Do you want to share a little bit more about what your role is within the IDF and, and as an example of what what that looks like for the Israeli military when people like you start deciding that you're not going to be doing that anymore? Well, I I can't go really into it because like, I don't know how much I can uh, disclose, but basically I am a major in the reserves of the intelligence corps and I can say that, um, I mean, I I try to be as influential as I can in, in a time of crisis in Israel and if me and a lot more important uh, functionalities than me uh, won't go to to our duties, then the uh, Israeli military will have a really difficult time to um, to function as it's supposed to during a time of crisis. The follow-on question to that, the particularly scary one is, do you think it's possible that Netanyahu could try to spark some sort of external crisis as a means of distraction, given what you're saying? Uh, with Netanyahu, anything is possible. Um, we are seeing a government that is right now, um, first of all, completely uh, irresponsible and completely um, uh, ha have no no uh, knowledge of how to manage the, the security situation in Israel. Just today, for the first time since 2006, uh, we got a barrage of rockets from our northern uh, border, um, which is like a completely a new phase of incompetence of our government. And, uh, and we hope that they won't try to use it as an excuse to, to bring up an, an all-out open war because we just see how, uh, how unprofessional the government is right now. Um, but we can see that the extremist, the most extreme uh, uh, function of, of Netanyahu's government, they do uh, try to make it like a, a hard, more hard on the Palestinians in Israel. And that makes all of the Palestinians around us or the, the Arab countries around us, like on edge and much more uh, prone to, to violence. So. I yeah, should say Netanyahu, that anything is possible. I should say that too is one of the things that's so crazy about the situation is that Netanyahu, I, I have long said, is one of one of the worst high-profile politicians in any democracy in the world. But the reality is that in this moment, the people he's brought into the government with him, many if not most of them, are are much more insane than he is. Uh, oh, yeah. It's 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 like if Trump had made people from the Oath Keepers cabinet members or something like this for the American context. I will say it's at some point, yeah. at some point I should have you back on and we should talk more about that, that, mm -hmm. that evolution of Israel from, from, you know, from the country that very easily elected labor prime ministers in the last couple of decades to now being one that's like dangerously extreme, right. But, but uh, being again, mindful of timing, I should, I should ask another thing on a more optimistic note of mm -hmm. about the implications of this. Um, Given the you know the example of you as one of many people who you know who is who is standing up to standing up against this very bad idea and 
as a person who is also in the middle of a pretty important institution uh, in Israel and are clearly not alone in this. Do you think that there's any possibility that the protest movement that's forming around this could lead to a collapse of the Netanyahu coalition? Because it only reformed again a couple of months ago after several years of him being out of power. So the optimistic part of all of this is that the what we call the liberal camp, like the the mainstream Israelis that are that are secular or or like religious, but but not but don't like uh, are not ultra orthodox religious, and like they are part of the workforce and they are part of the of the of the security uh, forces. And uh, and we saw that we can rise and we can get and organize as a camp as a as a as a movement and we have a power on here in Israel like uh, and we saw that we we made Netanyahu retreat once and we have and we are hopeful that we could uh, uh, delay and postpone this this legislation completely and. It, like cancel it completely and we also have uh, a belief that this will bring Netanyahu's government down because this government is crazy all around regardless of the of the judicial overhaul that they are planning like just this just last week uh, Netanyahu approved uh, to establish a national guard which is actually a militia that will be uh, Directly under the uh, minister of the of the interior security, ben which Ben Gvir exactly, who is uh, literally uh, was uh, uh, tried for terrorism uh, uh, activities, and he will have his own private militia. So <sighs> this government is crazy all around. We understand that like, most of us we understand that. We we won't have like our democracy secured without first starting uh, a real conversation about a constitution and uh, like and and uh, securing our rights in in basic laws and secondly that we will have to replace Netanyahu and we hope that this whole energy that we see this whole like liberal democratic energy that we see in Israel will be translated into political power as well. How much? So, I mean, like you've been you've been involved in organizing these protests. You've been on the ground. I mean, you, you mentioned you've been injured yourself in this. You've been one of frequently one of 500,000 people that are in the streets doing this. And you've yeah. mentioned a couple of times the fact that this this does seem to be giving a little bit of like new energy to the liberal the liberal side of politics in Israel. Do you think that a side which I should say, as as we've referenced, has been dormant? for a while um like do you do you think that this could could lead to a a broader cultural shift in israel wherein uh you know wherein those in israel that are not directly aligned with the ultra orthodox or like lieberman's party and that sort of thing are 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 resurgent in a way that it becomes like normal and and not a crazy notion that like a labor party candidate could be the prime minister again or something in the future I think that there is a possibility to bring more Israelis with the understanding of the uh, of their relation between what's going on, like geopolitically and with the occupied territories, to this threat into in our democracy. 
but like to have a labor uh, labor party, a labor leader that is winning an election, uh, there are so many flaws in the labor party and in the left uh, camp that are like that that we need to uh, that we need to get over before we can talk about before we that. can get there, we have to hope for a Lapid or a Gantz, I guess basically. Yeah, I guess that's I mean until we have we have some like a lot of legwork to do before we can hope for something better than that. Um, finally, I, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about asking this before, but since it kind of came up again, like, 20% of the Israeli population, not including the territories, 20% roughly of the Israeli population, I think, are, are Arab Israelis. Are you in the protests, are you seeing like folks that were maybe voters for the, the Arab Israeli parties that were in the previous coalition? Are you seeing involvement from, from folks in that camp in the protests? That's actually a really hard, hard discussion to do because uh, we, we see that although the Arab people are um, practically are under the most threat from this new type of government that the legislation is trying to bring. Uh, we, we don't see a lot of them joining the protest. There are some and the numbers are growing, but not, not a whole lot. And well, I can't, bl I can't blame them uh, completely for being uh, uh, not active because this protest is very like, mainstream is very zionist and and pro and joining this protest um uh, actually is is very challenging for for another person in israel to do because of that like the protest like we we pride ourselves with with going out with israeli flags with singing the uh, the national anthem with talking about how the protest will how the legislation will hurt the, the our our military, uh, all of these are, are very difficult uh, issues for the Palestinians to to agree to. So, um, I sadly, this protest isn't going enough towards them, and sadly they don't like come come to this protest from the other side enough. There are many our people in it, but not not majority of them. Gotcha and. That is understandable in my view. Interesting. Um, well, Omri, this has been really interesting. Um, do you want to tell folks where I know you mentioned being being active in the protests on Twitter? Do you want to tell folks where we can find you on social media? Uh, yeah, so basically, I guess that the best way to follow me is at Omlavi, O-M-L-A-V-I, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I guess that's where I share most of my thoughts, uh, but mostly in Hebrew. Gotcha. But uh, some of it can be in English, I guess. Thank God for the translate button on Twitter then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and this is really interesting. Thank you and, very much. And, and, and good great. luck. Good luck to you. Every... Every lover of democracy in the rest of the world is on your side uh, in this, or should be. If they don't, if they don't know, they should be. Um, so thanks, and we really appreciate the, the support of the, of the American of the, the, of the American uh, government. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. 
First of all, a huge thank you to Omri for joining us and lending his expertise. I really hope y'all enjoyed our conversation. And with that said, if you did and haven't already done so, please go and subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it with other people you think might be interested, etc. Let's hope no more major democracies start falling apart within the next couple of weeks so I can maybe do the next episode about something else. <laughs> In any case, uh, as always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork and you for listening.